2: In London, this is The Economist with Tasting Menu, a selection of the tastiest morsels from this week's issue. I'm Anne McElvoy and I lead Economist Radio. And on the menu this week, Taiwan's canine couture. The world develops a sweet tooth for posh chocolate and artificial minds edge a little closer to our own. But first, China's tech trailblazers was our cover line this week. Google has departed, Facebook is blocked and Amazon is struggling in China, a country many see as one of technological isolation and imitation. Yet look closer and innovation is rife, as our cover
0: leader argued. If further proof were needed that China's tech market is a world apart, this week seemed to provide conclusive evidence. Uber, a ride hailing service that is the world's most valuable startup, decided to sell its local unit to Didi Shuqing, a Chinese rival.
2: A capitulation which many see fitting neatly
0: into their critique of China's tech scene, that is. China is a sort of technological Galapagos Island, a distinct and isolated environment in which local firms flourish. Chinese firms are protected from external competition by government regulation and the Great Firewall. In short, China is closed, its firms are cosseted and their talent is for mimicry. But beyond such broad generalisations, a finer, perhaps brighter picture is coming to light. China is not as impenetrable as its critics suggest. WhatsApp, the world's most popular messaging app, which is owned by Facebook, Is freely available in China, yet it is dwarfed by WeChat, China's leading app. Indeed, we felt more credit was due to China's tech titans. Ride hailing, like many online businesses, is a cutthroat winner takes all market. Didi itself is the product of a 2015 merger of two local firms. Uber, was outcompeted, competed And
2: despite constant cries about a lack of innovation, the axis of ideas is in fact
0: shifting eastwards. Facebook's efforts to incorporate payments and commerce into its Messenger app are inspired by WeChat. Western consumers are having their experience of the mobile internet shaped by a Chinese success story. Companies that want a glimpse of the future of mobile commerce should look not just to Silicon Valley but also to the other side of the Pacific.
2: Don't forget you can read all of our coverage on China's tech firms, including in-depth analysis of Uber and WeChat, on our website at economist.com. Casting off now from the noteworthy technological innovation of mainland China, we reach Taiwan, which has fast become a paragon in, well, canine couture. A bit of sniffing around from reporters in our Asia section suggested that pampered pooches may in fact reveal another startling trend.
3: London or Paris? Milan or New York? Fashionistas differ on which city is the most stylish.
2: Yet for mutt mode, there is but one destination.
3: Taipei. Dogs strut their stuff on its pavements, tricked out in tutus, hoodies, boots, overalls and trousers. A biker's best friend can be kitted out with a matching motorbike helmet.
2: Safety first, I guess. Yet the lavish attention is being driven by another national trend.
3: Taiwan's rock-bottom birth rate. At just 1.1 births per woman, it is far below the replacement rate of 2.1 at which the population would stabilise. Caring for a dog seems to become a substitute for having children.
2: Well, at least they can't argue back as much. As Taiwan reflects on its shortcomings in national fertility, we turn to our Europe section, where Italy has been grappling with a deep-seated criminality. For decades, police have tried to stifle organised crime in the south of the country. But it seems some of those in the anti-mafia squad have a few vices of their
3: own. In 1963, Italy's Parliament acquired a dedicated all-party anti-mafia commission. But the fight against Italy's four big mafia groups also has a vast, unofficial component of business people publicly refusing to pay for protection, investigative journalists and, above all, civil society movements.
2: Recent scandals, however, have called the integrity of some such anti-mafiosi
3: into question. A woman who was a symbol of the fight against the Calabrian drangheta was found guilty of pocketing funds she received for a women's support group. And
2: some examples of business modus operandi are a little too familiar.
3: Such as the case of a leading Sicilian businessman convicted last year of extorting a €100,000 bribe.
2: Safe to say there's one group who will be revelling in the lack of limelight.
3: The Godfathers are no doubt delighted by the recent scandals and the attention they deflect from their own dirty business.
2: While Italy's crime families may be basking in a little reduced stress, Europe's banks were certainly feeling a touch of heat this week. In Money Talks, our weekly podcast on business and finance, we discussed stress tests on European banks and what the results might mean for markets. Our finance correspondent, Christa Koskello, gives us his analysis
0: even if the stress test in this case modeled a an adverse scenario of a huge spike in long-term interest rates that what we should really be worried about is the detrimental long-term effects of these low interest rates staying low for a very long time and net interest
3: margins remaining very narrow no escape from the gloom for european banks uh, in the in the short term at least
0: no not even in the medium term so unless sort of monetary policy changes unless the macro picture changes you know banks at the end of the day are are so tied to the economy they're located in much more so than many other industries so You know, bank health is tied to the economic health, and in in Europe we're seeing a lot of economic sclerosis.
2: You can listen to our Money Talk show each Tuesday to hear about the most pressing financial and business issues of the week. So as European banks were put under pressure once again, over in our business section, we dipped into the world of a product widely believed to be the answer to life's many stresses. Yes, chocolate. As the article explained, where the coffee industry blazed a profitable trail across the world, chocolatiers are now following. Posh chocolate shops are springing up
1: in the hip neighbourhoods where coffee culture long ago took root.
2: And indeed there's more than a scent of similarity between the two. All the talk is of aromas and
1: sustainability – the usual stuff of craft products that makes it seem stingy not to fork out £7.50, that's $10, for something that disappears in a few mouthfuls.
2: And while some producers are trying to break off a piece of the mainstream
1: market... More established chocolatiers are trying to do for the stuff what Starbucks once did for coffee, investing a commoditised product with a dash of high street chic. It's posh chocolate that seems to be the product oozing financial gains these days. Euromonitor, a retail consultancy, says that worldwide consumption of all chocolate has been stagnant during the past five years, mostly because rich world consumers are eating healthier snacks. But sales of dark chocolate grew by 5.1% and 3.3% last year in America and Western Europe, respectively.
2: For more delectable details about changes in the chocolate industry, why not take a look at our chart online or in this week's issue. Our brains respond to chocolate in all sorts of positive ways, but will artificial minds ever experience such delicious pleasure? A landmark development this week means that the gap between biological brains and electronic ones has narrowed. In our weekly science and technology show, Babbage, our science correspondent Tim Cross explained the importance of the world's first neuron on a chip.
3: So one of the things we've talked about a lot in the past, sort of recently, is is artificial intelligence and specifically this branch of it called deep learning, which is sort of inspired by the way that brains are put together. And one of the sort of insights of deep learning is that if you can make artificial computers behave a bit more like brains, then they become much better at doing all these useful things like dealing with with sort of, you know, messy data from the real world that's not sort of clean and neatly packaged, which is how computers traditionally like it. But to do that, you have to persuade the transistors, which are the components that make up a standard computer, to sort of behave like something they're not, to behave like neurons.
2: What the gradual ascent of artificial intelligence will mean is something we consider often here at The Economist. So here's another mind-stretcher for you. What if the oceans were transparent? We pondered this in our July the 16th issue, and one reader, Dominic Poudot from Canada, wrote in and told us why sea-through seas would be plain sailing.
3: All the treasures from sunk ships would have been found... MH370 conspiracy theories would never surface and underwater laser shows would dazzle octopuses and lobsters alike.
2: Yet, as Dominic explained, there are far deeper
3: consequences
2: to consider.
3: If we had translucent seas, The Odyssey, Moby Dick, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Jaws, Finding Nemo, The Hunt for Red October or Pirates of the Caribbean might have never been written or produced. In each case... The storyline would sync with the protagonist having a sufficiently strong telescope to scan the abyss.
2: Opacity it is then. Back on dry land, I'm Anne McElvoy and that was our tasting menu. Do send us your feedback via email, radio at or on Twitter at Economist Radio. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist.